Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of A Talk With, dot, 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 my podcast-style show in which I bring on guests from throughout the Doctor Who fandom on to talk about just general stuff, and I'm here with... Introduce yourself. <laughs> um, hi, my name's Joel, Joel Johnson, and I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, too much, some people might say. Uh, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. That's, that's my credit. <laughs> Doctor Who fan. Uh, the... Uh... First thing I want to talk about is you put a tweet out recently, uh, which was about your first Dot Two story and the one you watched recently. I was just wondering because yeah. you put the um, the Runaway Bride as your first Dot Two story. Is that like, uh, what do you think of that story? And like, has it influenced like your taste going forward or like? I I, I I love it. I feel like part of it like sort of influenced what who would go on to be like my favorite companion. Um, Donna Noble's my favorite Doctor Who companion of all time. Uh, and yeah, she was the first one that I ever saw on screen. Even if like it was a thing of like obviously she wasn't a companion by that point. But like the story of my first exposure to Doctor Who was I think it, it was either Christmas Day or a few days after. And I walked into like my dad's um study and he I remember it like um quite vividly. He had like um like a old small box TV on like the corner of his desk in his study. Mm. And I walked in to like um, say I to him at one point and he just had on this telly, uh, the one away bride. I can't remember what point. But I think like the only memory I have of it is walking in, and there was this like massive red spider on the screen. And like <laughs> as a kid, I was just like enraptured by that image. Um, and I've just I've, I've been a fan ever since. Like I, I started, so. yeah, yeah. I started watching the show like as series three was starting up, which is why I hold that series in particular like so close and like near and dear to my heart. Um, but yeah, Runaway Bride, I love it still to this day. Every time I watch it, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned like the small TV boxes because like um when they were small like that, I I have a memory of watching the Shakespeare Code as a kid, and I'd like have a box like that. I know the yeah, episode yeah. hasn't particularly, it hasn't aged well, but um no, I remember like uh, just uh, going up to my dad and watching it as a kid. Are there any like um memories like that that kind of like the Ragnos one that kind of stick out or like uh, mm. stories? Yeah, because um. I have quite a few stories uh, from my childhood of watching Doctor Who. It, well, it's well, we wouldn't be here if we didn't. Shakespeare Code is like the opposite of something like Winnery Bride for me, and that like as a kid, I I couldn't watch it because it was the same with like Unquiet Dead. Um, those were like the stories that I, I just uh -huh. never watched as a kid because I was just too scared um, because like aliens were fine for me witches and ghosts right those were like for some reason were too real so I couldn't watch them um, but as I've grown up and I you know I watched the story and um, it's just one of those I, I, I really don't like the Shakespeare Code for more, for more reasons beyond just yeah. Gareth Roberts I just think it's not a very well written story like at all um, yeah, this like I think it's the opposite of Runaway Bride for me. Not a fan, really. So, funny enough, I was more terrified of the Sarah Jane Adventures than Doctor really? Who. Really? Yeah, Odd Job the Clown, uh, by played by Bradley Walsh. That was Graham <laughs> horrifying. That was yeah. It gave me a fear of clowns for like six years after that. Ed. That 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 and that was one. Definitely. That it, it was like it, it was like I said. It was that. It was Runaway Bride. Not Runaway Bride. Sorry. Shakespeare Code. I'm quite dead. And what was it? Day of the Clown. Mm. It's just he had like these horrible sharp teeth, and it was just like, oh god, nah. It didn't give me a, a fear of, of clowns, but I, I couldn't watch that episode. Like honestly. Yeah, you know, thinking about it now, I, I, I often I think that um, the Sarah Jane Adventures has 
equally, if not more terrifying villains than Dot 2. Like we had Nightmare Man, we had Odd Job, we had Trickster. Yeah, Trickster's are terrifying just, just in design, you know. I don't understand you know? how they got away with it. We had James Draper as <laughs> well on it. He's absolutely, well, I wouldn't say terrifying, more pitiful. But um, yeah. Definitely. And then um, you also uh, mentioned uh, your favorite episode is Midnight, which is good taste yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna use this opportunity to promote something because i feel like jack I wasn't would, would, yeah yeah I, I, feel, <laughs> why I, feel, I, mentioned it. I feel like jack would be miffed if i, I came on to do this and i didn't uh, mention it but um worry, I've been in, in, yeah yeah i've been in partnership with um jack reeves from the, the host of doctor the community show um uh for a fair while now in terms of uh just i came on being like hey i've got um i know you're you're wanting to like adapt midnight as like a comedy sort of parody stage play type thing um i've got a bit of experience in script writing like i did film production in, in university if you ever want to like send the script over to me and like i'll see what you've got and like see if there's anything i can offer or, or bring to the project and um he, he he was quite nice about it and uh he was like yeah sure i'll, I'll send it over and then ever since then uh, i gave him my notes and and i found that like quite quickly we had sort of like a a very decent like working relationship whenever we'd kind of like sit down to discuss what jokes we could throw in what jokes maybe didn't work or could be changed um we kind of seems like bounce off each other quite well uh, like i thought um and we ended up uh, having a script that is going to be entering production very soon like as soon as um yes, like auditions cool. close in a few days but we're, we're very happy with the script and i'm i'm just i'm very happy that i got to contribute to it really mm. so like yeah. midnight it wouldn't be my go-to when creating a comedy uh no it, it, then again looking at it, it does have a lot of potential with that sort of cast because it kind we of want, we like to we like to set a hard task for ourselves if i could say <laughs> uh, but we were surprised when we sat down and found that there were like there were so many opportunities within the characters like the sort of archetypes that like midnight uses for comedy you know yeah. um it, it we were quite surprised kind of like a sitcom cast in a way you've got mm. the brainy one you've got the over controlling parent the professor yeah, yeah of course the, the really really strict parents which yeah. i believe uh, the dad's not in your one uh in no um no he's not i was i it gets a passing mention in like the announcement video for the project <laughs> on his channel but i i did i did fight with jack on um whether or not to, to keep the dad in um mm. just because like, i feel like in the story itself like the actual story of midnight both parents represent a very different part of that kind of like almost fake family archetype you know mm. this whole idea of like um they're trying to front like this idea that oh they're a perfect family they're going on holiday everything's quite nice yeah. for them but there's a lot of like demons like sort of under the cover a bit you know you feel like um i'm, I'm blanking on their names but the mum's very much kind of a, a manipulative controlling <laughs> figure that's name bit Biff, yeah, you feel like um, the mum's kind of a very like manipulative, controlling figure mm -hmm. that's a bit two-faced, and you see that in the fact that like she seems like a very nice mum, but then she starts rambling about all this kind of stuff, like uh, asking a doctor if he's an immigrant, you know, and mm -hmm. and stuff like that, and, and Biff feels more like a person who's trying to like be a patriarch he's trying to be a very sort of like masculine presence but he's very willing to to be manipulated by his wife sorry i'm rambling yeah. it's my favorite story oh, you know, oh, no, like, no, no, no. by all means ramble they, yeah. they do they do represent two very different sort of like parts of this this like 
parenting system and you can absolutely tell why Jeffro hates them oh, like poor Jeffro like, man poor Jeffro like, literally uh, but yeah, Biff unfortunately is not in our, our version of events. But um, mm. yeah, that's quite sad. But you know, I'm, uh, I've heard a lot of things about it. I've been talking to Jack about it, and it sounds it's it's going to be incredible. Uh, I might might drop an audition by depending on like get your tape in, mate. We'd we'd love to see it genuinely. Get your tape in. We're still we're still casting. Um, that was another thing I was I was just thinking about though. Um, like I said, the the kind of like character archetypes that are introduced in something like midnight are quite sort of easy to to write comedy for i feel like but of course mm. we had to like we had to change a few things like um i think possibly my favorite thing that i've brought to um this project is reworking hobbs obviously the um like the is it david troughton yeah is it david yeah David, Trouton, David not, Trouton. not Michael. Um, Patrick yeah. Trouton's son reworking his character to be more of like um, like a Prince Regent from Black Adam the Third type, you know, where he's just kind of like he's born into success and he doesn't mm. really know how to appreciate it, and he's just a bit of a fool about the whole thing, and he's just sort of carting around this um, this more competent but like jaded underling in Didi, you know, which I modeled yeah. kind of off from Black Adder in, in the aforementioned Black Adam the Third. Uh, I feel like it. I, I took a lot of inspiration from that dynamic. I love that show like entirely, but that dynamic in particular in season three, uh, I sort of was inspired a lot by, um, and it just made for a lot of a lot of good jokes. I feel like so. Yeah, and uh, going on to a different topic, which is one we were discussing mm-hmm. before the call as well, but um, it's regeneration stories because you put a tweet out recently about <laughs> regeneration stories, and what surprised me about it was um, how low the war games was. That is a place oh, um, very like, of course. Uh, <laughs> I just, you know, it's a fan favorite story, um, and you mm. pull it right beneath Time and the Rally, which is a, uh, which I respect. It completely respects. I just wanted to, you know, get your thoughts on the war games and why it was so low. What is it? My 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 second least favorite. Did I put it as? Yeah, like, I can't it, quite remember. You pull it. It was 10. either second or third. It, it was low. It, it's yeah. it's um. It's down there. I, I want to kind of keep sort of the law, the war games bashing to like a minimum oh, because cool. like I put out I put out one too many tweets the other day and I could feel like um, someone who like I, I very much kind of like respect in in the community was like um, we get it you don't have to like make it your whole personality which sort of struck me a bit because I never wanted to kind of like make it out like people I, f- I thought people were wrong for liking it you know yeah it's it's strange how the community can do that like they often them. Um... They can tend to villainize people for having a different opinion sometimes. I know, but I, I, I sort sounding... of, I, I somewhat agreed with them in terms of like I did just I, I tweeted about it like a few too many times too quickly, perhaps yeah, you know. Like, but I, I kind of gave off off the like unfortunate impression that I was just kind of like trying to bash something that is like well loved for the sake of it. But really, I was always just trying to make people laugh, you know. Like I tweeted those things like bashing the episode because I thought they were funny. Um, but in terms of why I like putting that to one side this mm. is like an open platform for me to discuss like the episode or story i should say because mm. it's it's 10 of those um it's it's the close to time in the rani in my ranking because very similarly to time of the rani um it's a story that i feel like wasted my time um like you know like that's all i can say it's 10 parts long and mm. nine of them are almost entirely superfluous to me right <laughs> 
<laughs> like you could easily cut this thing down to about like five or six parts as far as I'm, I'm concerned it does not need to be 10 parts long it's 10 parts long for the spectacle of it you know it's oh well we're moving on to like the unit stuff we're changing up like a lot of the production team our main actors are leaving so we might as well go out with one big hurrah and it's just the story doesn't accommodate for that you know it's mm. just it's it's not it's not very entertaining <laughs> to me and i found myself quite bored and that's why i'll always bash it but you know Absolutely fair no enough. one is wrong for liking it you know <laughs> i need to say that nobody's wrong for liking it nobody's wrong for disliking it at the end of the day it's just an opinion i think um, absolutely that's one thing that can often be forgotten on dog tears <laughs> um but one thing i will I say this I will, sorry, I will say this. Um, I know I said nine parts are a bit superfluous to me. Um, I absolutely adore part 10. I feel like any, everyone, even the people like myself who don't like that story, agree that part 10 is fantastic. Pete Classico. Oh, yeah. um, it has possibly my favourite depiction of Time Lords ever. Mm. because you have the Time Lords in every story poster introduction versus they're just gods, you know, mm. And and that's like one of my favorite ever versions of the time was just them them being this kind of unstoppable force represented yeah. by this kind of like oncoming wind in the earlier episodes, mm -hmm. and then they can just pluck you out of time like that and force you to regenerate just because they feel like it, you know. It is, it's, it's magnificent and it's it's amazing. It's uh, uh, I do quite like the god depiction of the time lords and the scene in the end of time, which we'll get onto because that's another one in your list that I agree with. Uh, You've I, done your research. <laughs> mm, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, the, the Time Lords, it, it can be quite difficult to get them right. Of course, we had the Deadly Assassin, where they were more, they threw them more into the political side of who. Uh, mm. Of course, um, I, I, I love that kind of depiction, of course. It's, a, it's um, yeah, it, uh, um, then you have the Invasion of Time, which kind of overdraws that kind of... Um, I do quite like the invasion of time, but it, it feels like yeah, they're making them too incompetent to the point in which like I, I love I I love stories like the Deadly Assassin and even Invasion of Time to a degree, but it does like it does start kind of well. You can argue that they did it in the Three Doctors really, but it does kind of start no, like no, um, a thing of bringing the Time Lords down a level, which I think does them no favors like uh, like at all. Like Deadly Assassin is a fantastic story in its own right, especially for its like um, handling of like political intrigue mm. but they're not the best like they're not the smartest of people in that story yeah. you know um i i have to agree i mean um half the time they're just explaining stuff like they don't know how to use it and yeah. the, these uh objects and plot devices and stuff like that have apparently been on their planet for centuries and they still don't know how to use any of it it's 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 a bit I like different interpretations of the Time Lords in particular. I like how each kind of era has a distinct kind of take on them. Like um, the Third Doctor, and uh, the Third Doctor was kind of different to the Second Doctor, but they were kind of overseers more. Mm -hmm. They're more, you know, they they would uh, look down, not interfere. You know, they. Yeah. Strictly follow non-interference. Well, Although I'd say the one difference between something like the War Games and the Three Doctors is that in the Three Doctors, the reason that they they are that way is because they feel more helpless. Mm. Like they 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 very much say um, Omega's messing with some stuff, so we are unable to in, like to interfere. You know, we need we need to like 
get the doctor to solve our problem for us basically mm. where it was more in the war games it's more of a thing of um, we as a species have elected um to never interfere with the with the doings of other species and as a result you doctor you are disobeying that so we're going to punish you you know and we have the power to um mm. so you know two very di- you're right similar but like for two very different reasons you know yeah i think like, i'm and another take on them is, of course, The End of Time, which uh, mm-hmm. is easily a 10 out of 10 story, both parts, in my view. Absolutely. I think, I think it's genuinely one of the greatest regeneration stories ever made. Yeah. One of my it's just nicer to, it's, it's nicer to see more kind of um, praise lauded at the end of time nowadays, because I feel like mm-hmm. when I was like... Um, like a, a teenager, like just getting into like Doctor Who and social media, I'd say around early 2010s when the Moffat era was like still going strong. Um, I feel like it was it was quite easy. And you get this with like every new era, I feel like. Um, yeah. Like there's a lot of bashing of the stuff that we've yeah. just had, you know. Um, yeah. And it's nicer to just see like with hindsight and God, like 10, 15 years of like distance now that people are like sort of able to appreciate it for what it is. And who knows, maybe that'll like happen for like Chibnall era eventually. And I, I see I even happening. So. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I see a lot of that happening for like the Moffat era and stuff. Like, like time does wonders, you know, for, for a lot yeah. of people. Um, I, I feel like it's just a thing of, it's kind of like a grass is always greener thing where like as we're getting something at the moment and we don't really know what's coming it's kind of a lot easier to fall into this kind of like cynical mindset of like this isn't that good you know mm-hmm. and we don't really look towards the future ever you know um mm-hmm. if that makes any sense yeah it, um, it makes complete sense i think um around the time of the moffat era i must have been 14 to 16 and oh, no wait I would have been much younger. I, I lose track of time. It feels like I was much older when watching the Moffat era, but I looked the other day and it turns out I was much younger, which came as quite shocked. But um, during that time, like it was far easier to get influenced by opinions, far easier mm. while it was going on. You are completely correct. Because like I remember not liking Clara. I remember not mm. liking Hellbent. And I like Hellbent. Now it's, it's a good episode. I remember like, mm. It's kind of like people all kind of follow the crowd in a way and uh, kind of come, come together in unison. And it's only like, especially when people are younger, of course, like when I was getting to Who back then, it was kind of, yeah, it was like, it, and it was getting more popular and Reddit came like, on and Tumblr. Like yourself, I feel like I, I've like also reached a bit of an epiphany with like the late, the more the Capaldi years in particular. Like series ten is something that I've always, I've, I've made no um, secret of, of loving like mm-hmm. endlessly. Um, but something like series nine, I've kind of warmed a lot more to recently. Whereas when it, as it was coming out, and this is what I was talking about as it was coming out. Um, series nine was something that I wasn't a fan of at all because it just felt like okay, I'm stuck in this. Um, I'm not really enjoying it for the moment or, or more accurately it's not capturing um, like what I used to love about the show um, mm. i.e. like the David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston years yeah. um, so I, I can't really appreciate this as it's happening whereas nowadays as it's something that's in the past and it's, 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 it's finished um, I'm able to sorry I'm able to kind of go back and, and appreciate it for what it was and very much what's there you know um, yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking that as someone who's um, not a massive fan, not much of a fan, I should say, of, of the current era, like the Chibnall era, um, 
I'm thinking that maybe in a few years I will warm to it a lot more. There's mm. certainly episodes there currently that I've, I've made no secret of, of really loving in like in the current era. Mm. Uh, and maybe it will get sort of like um, a reevaluation in the years to come when we've had like God knows how many years of, of shooting and whoever will come after him, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. But we'll see. So. Yeah, I think it's something interesting, and I, and I agree about Serious Nine as well. I think now that season in particular has aged like fine wine. It's genuine. Uh, it's genuinely. I was watching The Witch's Familiar the other day. I skipped The Magician's Apprentice, even though I do like that. I thought I, I, I kind of know everything that happens in it. It's kind of a chase around, but yeah, I watched yeah. The Witch's Familiar, and it was incredible. I really, mm. really enjoyed it, and I hadn't really enjoyed it like that before watching it. And that was certain, if I if I if I were to be honest, there's like a, a certain lot of uh, issues I have with a two part like the Magician's Apprentice and the Witch is Familiar, but I, I can't um, sit here and deny like like a lot of Capaldi stories. There's a lot of injection of character that just kind of not mm. make like the story entirely for me because I, I still I, I still stand by my opinion that like that two parter is one that I, I I I'm not really a fan of, but there's yeah. just you get like a moment every now and again mm. that it just feels so soulful and just mm. like beautifully written or just like a nice injection of very kind of like um, personable humour, you know, like the bit where he, he rocks up in Davros's chair <laughs> or like the bit where he, he's able to just have like a quiet moment with Davros mm. where they talk about like each of their lives and everything. Yeah. It's just like, you know, beautiful moments like that, even in a story that I'm not really a fan of, you know. Mm. Um, I can't deny how good those bits are, you know. Yeah, I think... Um... Overall, the Capaldi era to me is quintessential Doctor Who. I think it's, as you said, it's so soulful, and you can see a lot of a lot of Capaldi has gone into this. Of course, a lot of Moffat went into it as well, and Jenna Coleman as well was a highlight, and Paul Mackey, and mm. uh, and yeah, every, everyone involved in that um, in the production of every single episode, you can find something to love. Mm. Um, What's your favourite Capaldi series? Out of the favourite, my favourite of Capaldi seasons is season ten, just because it's, it's, oh, yeah, it's nudged uh, forward than the others, just on account of the fact that I think its stories are stronger, and I'm just a, a bigger fan of of that Tardis team of like Bill mm. Nardole and occasionally Missy. Um, I prefer yeah. them to like Twelve and Clara, but I like Twelve and Clara. I just I just prefer that trio. I've really. warmed a lot to Twelve and Clara, as I said, but. 12, Nardo and uh, 12, Nardo and uh, Bill are genuinely phenomenal. They are genuinely one of the best TARDIS teams to grace the entire show. I think um, I, I, I think there was a lot of um, stigma against Matt Lucas as Nardo in particular uh, to begin I with. I remember it, really, yeah. Really just him and Capaldi just have outstanding chemistry like i i absolutely um love the two of them love the pair that they love nardo and 12 and how they interact it's genuinely incredible um, i i re remember it like I, I came up on sort of like um like doctor youtube around the time of like uh, the capaldi era and mm. uh, I, I sort of came up on like you know five who fans and um, yeah. Like the Who addicts in particular, who like um, they would make videos talking about why it's absurd that um, Moffat would like invite Matt Lucas back <laughs> and what's that way of bringing back a character like Nardo? And didn't he prove everyone wrong? You know, I mean, like to be fair, with like 
looking back at the time, I understand their concern. Hmm. I completely understand, like, well, why. Well, yeah, because Nardo, like, un- underwent, like, an entire recharacterization by the time of, like, Return of Dr. Mysterio, didn't they? Because mm. yeah. you go back and you watch Husbands of River Song, the Nardo you see in that, like, first appearance is almost entirely different to who we end up yeah. getting. <laughs> So, I absolutely love that Christmas special in particular. That one, mm. it's just, it's a beautiful special. It's really well put together. Which uh, one? The, the Husbands of River Song? Husbands or... of River Song. And, and the yeah. Return of Doctor Mysterio, which I find incredibly underrated. And yeah, they're both great. Like, I know, like, it's, it's, they're kind of like, they're known as the period that we didn't get really any Doctor Who, you know, between those two. Mm specials in 2016 but like those episodes on their own are fantastic you know like uh return yeah. of stereo is, is more like sort of a a pulpy kind of like comic book homage but it's really fun you know like it's mm. just like the kind of thing you want on christmas day and uh husbands of river song especially by the ending it's just it's just beautiful you know like yeah. you said and um the, re- the return of dr mysterio has a lot of heart to it that i feel yeah, like yeah. Was ignored because of the superhero element and obviously that's good obviously that's going to be the standout Doctor doing mm. superhero, um, doing a superhero episode is obviously something unique to that. Um, but overall, I, I absolutely adore both um, both Christmas specials, and I feel like they both have a lot of heart to them. And I think, you know, taking Doctor Who off the air for a year wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Of course, I would have loved Doctor Who throughout all the year, as always. And uh, the times before that, in which Doctor had gone off the air for quite a while. Mm. Not great, I can imagine. No. Um, <laughs> but imagine having to be a fan during the wilderness years. I'll never know that Whereas, pain. You know? To deal with uh, only having BBV and all the all of that side of Doctor Who, which is a lot of it's brilliant, but BBV, <laughs> BBV. Yeah, I'm not. I'm there. not too. Um, I'm not too versed on on that whole like controversy. Like I've seen mm. them, their name be tossed around. Um, <laughs> quite regularly um never yeah. never to have a nice set about them and from what i've read um with good reason you know um yeah. so but I've, i'm not really an expert on all that i wouldn't say but yeah yeah I mean, um, uh, one thing I, I wanted to congratulate you on is um is uh what's the word hang on is uh what was it it was uh recently uh what's the word uh, you recently graduated. Oh, graduated. That's what. I don't know what's wrong with you tonight. I'm just. I, I, I was racking my own brain, and I was like, "What have I done recently that yeah. warrants congratulations?" I just, um, um, I, I just wanted to congratulate you on graduating. That's thank, right. thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Literally, what was that, like? that was a moment for me too. Where I was just like, "What have I done that like would warrant anyone congratulating me on?" Um, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Like I said, that was the um, the three years of, of film production finally um, paying off. You know, mm-hmm. uh, happy that it's over. Since then, I've 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 moved. Well, I moved prior to the graduation ceremony, but mm-hmm. like since leaving uni, I have moved to the home the homeland of Dan Lewis. Um, Liverpool. <laughs> um, I visit that spot uh, where he pretended to work quite often. Um, it's very surreal because uh, I, I, I live from my partner Lola now, who I feel like I tweet about a lot, but I'll never stop. Um, basically, just I was I was seeing them whilst like Flux was was airing, um, mm. so I was quite used to going back and forth between Manchester, where I went to uni, and Liverpool, and just seeing like some of the famous sort of Liverpool landmarks, um, like in Flux episodes, was weird because for the first time it was like 
I've been there, you know, like I, I've stood where that Santara is marching, you know, like what, what's going on? Um, so, yeah. yeah and then Liverpool is a very nice place uh, from what I've seen. Of course, I haven't actually been to Liverpool. I really need to one day. Uh, yeah, it's great. The world of Wonder is set up here currently. Yeah. Um, I, if really you ever have a reason to, to, to visit, then it's obviously that, you know, it's fantastic. Mm. I actually went with Lola, like, God, I think it was like a few weeks back, maybe like months. No, it can't be months, like about a month, maybe, uh, back. And it was, it was fantastic. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you for the congratulations. Like I said, um, as soon as uni was over, I moved down here, moved out of my student house, um, set up all of my Doctor Who bits and bobs in places <laughs> where um, they probably shouldn't be. But, you know, they're, they're set up now, all the books <laughs> and figures are laid about. Um, and and yeah, I'm just happy that it's 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 done, and I've got my degree. And yeah, so thank you very much, mate. Yeah, I I hope to be um doing a film. Uh, well, I am going to be doing a film uh, making course, a film. Oh, nice. Yeah, a film related course. Uh, going to Brighton, uh, Brighton Film School, uh, this year later on, and it's going to be hopefully incredible i mean um what was it like doing a course like that and of course uh um your writer director yeah uh, yeah, yeah that was that was kind of field, uh, that was kind of field i specialized in um because obviously when you join like a, a film like making course you kind of go in with this sort of like preconceived thing of okay i'm i gravitate towards this like i want to mm. be an editor or i want to be like a writer and that could always change depending on the kind of experience you get during first year you know like first year from my experience at least is very much just kind of a thing of like putting your kind of feelers out there to be like okay yeah. there's a class thing and there's a class on writing and what is it that that i really can sort of get the most out of um so i'd, I'd say like good luck to you like def what is it that you want to kind of do in particular like in that field uh, ask leaning more towards writer and uh, mm -hmm. director and possibly editor i know um the way they kind of schedule it is kind of first year you do pretty much everything second year you limit it down to two and then first and last year you limit it down to one that you really want to pursue uh, yeah, i'm yeah. leaning more towards writer than anything else of course so uh, on my youtube channel i very much enjoy writing and uh, yeah, yeah of course. content that i want to do but I've, I've also done sound editing and producing and directing and uh even the occasional well, there just becomes a thing of because obviously, obviously you you have experience doing those things for like a youtube channel but that just becomes a thing you've got experience in all those different fields but it just kind of becomes a thing of what works best for you in terms of applying those different skills to filmmaking i guess yeah. you know um and you'll learn all about that so good good luck to you really yeah uh, so, i think um the main thing i want to do uh going forward is expand my horizon because of course a lot of my work now is Doctor Who related it's all mm -hmm. it's all kind of um of course there's a limitless aspect to it especially with my series Dark Days which is all about mm -hmm. being limitless but I do want to expand my horizons and uh uh kind of process how to write without original characters in, in yeah, a, yeah. a lot of characters in Doctor Who original I make original characters in the Doctor Who universe but work within my own kind of you know limits and boundaries and my own kind of universe my own kind of characters and uh, yeah you want to you want to create your own mythos really don't you exactly i can flip it myself uh but yeah um, and we're back uh so i want to um continue on to a different topic now because you mentioned um of course donna noble is your favorite companion what are your thoughts on her coming back and i think um 
one of the main things I'm personally concerned about is how it manages her ending in the end of time and yeah. journey's end. I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that because, of course, it's quite a. It feels like a permanent ending. It's going to be quite difficult. But how would you like her to be brought back? And what are your thoughts on that actually returning? I can't sit here and pretend that when the announcement dropped of David Tennant and Kaffir Tate returning, um, I didn't jump for joy. Uh, <laughs> just because of the fact that it is my favourite Doctor and companion coming back to the show. Mm. Um, but when I first heard the announcement, I, I think everyone was kind of under the impression that it would be, as in, as like anniversaries in the past did, it would very much be a thing of picking up these characters' stories mm. during adventures we've already seen them in, yeah. you know, like sort of mid-series four, you know, during their adventures. Mm. Um, like they, they might have just finished having a holiday on the planet at midnight, like, like who knows? Um, like, you know what I mean? But like, yeah. Very easy. It would would have been very easy for RTD to just have it be like other anniversary specials and just pick up where the, where we left off. Well, not where we left off, but during where we uh, where we left off. Um, and ever since that moment, more we've heard about a ton of stuff since um, about their return, thanks to a lot of like set photos and leaks and stuff mm. to that effect. Um, and it's very much indicating that what we're about to witness is a continuation rather than, you know, like just sort of sliding back in during series four. And um, that sounds really cool, like mm -hmm. sort of on paper, you know, to just sort of see a companion come back again. You know, that's what makes sort of something like the Sarah Jane Adventures great, you know, to just see where like one of the Doctor's friends and like previous companions is, is at like at this point in their life, uh, like 10 or so years down the line. Like you said, though, um, the ending for a character like Donna is kind of perfect. Yeah. Um, as is the one for Wilf and Sylvia. And everything to do with Donna is kind of a perfect ending. And it baffles me um, why RTD would want to um, tempt fate and, 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 like, you know, tr like try and mess with that at all. All um, I can think. Like he's he's a perfect writer to me. I, I I adore him. I adore his work. He must have an idea, you know. Like yeah. he must have a plan for this. Um, yeah. What you were yeah. what were you saying? Sorry. I was just gonna say I respect that he's not going with the standard kind of bring a doctor and companion back during their tenure. I think it could lead to some very interesting results, especially since it is Donna, and of course she got a very permanent kind of you know sort of sort of permanent at least goodbye i mean even in the end of time they cover kind of all the bases but also mm -hmm. like I, I wouldn't mind more adventures with donna going forward and I, I wouldn't mind like a happier ending for a character because i think she's so kind of or, or even a more tragic ending for a character imagine that he just brings her back gives us like a sort of glimpse of hope and then just yeah. takes it away again it it's sounds just, very rtd the end it like obviously it's if you want to kind of go into these things hoping that like it's his character he was the one who wrote the original ending so you feel like if he if he feels the need to bring her back he must have an idea for like a continuation that doesn't ruin what was already there but you kind of you look at a character like Donald Noble and where she ended up and it was this kind of this this beautiful kind of this theme to, to the whole thing where she was just a normal person and she became 
the most important person in the universe. But by the end of her story, she doesn't even remember it. So she's right back to where she started. But you just have to think to yourself, does that change anything? She's a normal person again, but she did all this incredible stuff. And while she doesn't remember it for a minute, she was the most important person in the universe. At least the doctor thought she was. And that kind of idea is beautiful. You can live the most mundane life yeah. and it doesn't make you any less important, you know? Um, and I just, I'm, I'm very kind of worried about that kind of like perfect ending for the, for a character yeah. that such a beautiful lesson being messed with at any capacity. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's perfectly understandable to be worried about that. Ooh, there's a yeah. bloke. Uh, sorry, there's a <laughs> bloke there flying around. <laughs> Strange. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's such a beautiful ending, such a heartbreaking end, uh, ending. It's so, I think it is, Jane, it's been my favorite companion exit alongside Martha's for a while now. Uh, I yeah. think both of their endings are brilliant for different reasons. I think. Um, it says a lot that obviously we, we kind of look at a, a character like Donna's ending being quite sort of melancholic and the fact that like she gets everything that like she perceived made her special taken away from her and the fact she gets like a mind wipe so she doesn't remember any of her adventures. Yeah. But like there's a, ha there's a happiness to it and that she gets everything that she ever wanted. There's like, it's very intentional it feels like to me that she's introduced to us on her wedding day and that goes wrong, obviously, with like the doctor's sort of like interference and everything like that. But she ends her story on her wedding day, mm. you know, but, but for real this time, you know, like it, she gets everything she thought she wanted at the beginning. And that's just quite nice in itself, you know, um, the fact that she gets what she always thought to be a happy ending. And it's just another thing of the guy who played, what was it? Um, the, the Her husband's name, something noble. Mm, was it Sean? no not noble it was temple sean temple that was it, that was um, it. noble is done his name it's, it's it's very sort of worrying to me that um his actor is absent in all of like the set photos you know that we've seen um seemingly oh. like yasmin is going to be yasmin finney is going to be her daughter mm. but where's sean you know like yeah you know like uh, I, I, don't think, want actually, I think he might have been spotted on set i swear he has been at one point I saw I saw another another bloke, but like not he didn't look like the same actor who played Sean in Ned of Time. Mm. So unless they like recast or something, but like I don't know, it's just another thing. Are we really gonna have it be that Donna's marriage failed? Like that doesn't that kind of ruin it? So <laughs> I think um you know her having a happy family though is quite nice. It, it, it will yeah. lead on to a nice story I reckon, and her getting her memories back. Of course, I don't think. Overall, her memories, uh, I feel like it won't impact her arc all too much to have her memories back. Maybe, maybe, maybe the adventure is like a temporary fix, which would be quite cruel in a way. But yeah, I imagine if it was like something like that, where it was like the temporary fix that a doctor has come up with after spending so long away from her, and he wants to give her the adventure of a lifetime again. And that's why he kind of chooses that face again. And then he... Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. And that's why he ends up choosing that face again. Uh, oh. Which leads on to a few adventures with the two of them. And then he returns her home. Uh, perhaps with and those memories, but not with her original ones or something like that. Maybe. I, d I don't really know what I'd, I'd want to see kind of in, in her return, just because 
like I said, because I, I like I hold that that ending so so highly, um, like a potential return is like post end of time is never something I've given much thought because it's kind of a thing of I've always thought you don't need it. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what I would do, but we'll see. You know, like, I can't oh, we'll wait. See. We can only wait next, and see. Next, next year can't come soon enough. You know what I mean? Still holding out hope that the fact they were filming so early means that we're getting like um, a special at the end of this year or like um, the start of next. Yeah. According to rumor and uh, from like uh, certain sheets and everything, um, certain like uh, recording schedules, uh, apparently they have like enough for free specials or something. Wow. So that okay. That would be, that would be great. I mean, that could lead to more returning doctors, more returning companions. Who knows at this point? I mean, I would mm. like a, I would like um, maybe a Moffat era doctor and companion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. And then maybe a classic doctor, you know, that kind of, of course, you can't really, um, you can't return every doctor. That's expecting way too much. I think. I feel like the only classic doctor you could really get away with at this point, bringing back, like in the show, is, um, and I know people might um, f- find this a bit upsetting for me to say, but it's probably just Paul McGann, you know, like, oh. like Sylvester McCoy looks great, but there is kind of a point where you have to go. He doesn't look how he did in in um, in survival, you know, like yeah. Or I should say the TV movie, you know, like where he regenerates. There can be convincing in universe ways to bring him back. I think Time Crash is a good example. Peter Davis, yeah, nothing that. he did, and that was supposed to be him in season nineteen. <laughs> that was supposed. Yeah, to be yeah. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate if they they pulled the Time Crash. That's another sort of thing that was written under RTD's watch. I wouldn't be surprised if he if he did it again. I found it quite funny though. I, I am talking about. I don't see them bringing back sort of all the doctors on account of the fact that they've aged, but I just find it funny that um, around the time that like. I know this is kind of a tangent, but like when Obi Wan Kenobi came out and people were complaining about the fact they didn't de-age Hayden Christensen and Anakin Skywalker, mm. all I could think, wow, these people do not know what it's like to be a Doctor Who fan because we get we get like doctors coming back every few years and there is no explanation for the fact that they've aged. Usually, you know, we just have to accept it. Um, and I'm like, wow, this is just the same thing. So we could also get David Bradley back. That's an option. Uh, could so- get David Bradley back. I'd, I like, to he'd be great I'd um, like to see him in a story that understands one, hmm. frankly. Hmm. So. I mean, um, there are plenty of ways to bring back Doctors of Flake. Um, you could always bring back Tom Baker as the curator at some point, perhaps, hmm. or just bring him back as the fourth Doctor. I mean, he was playing that role way into, um, you know, looking not like he did back in... Uh, you know, he was playing it in commercials and everything, as was John Pertwee back in the day. They could bring in um, Tom Baker, but he could be the fourth Doctor from the Dark Dimension. <laughs> oh, they, could just, they could just adapt to the Dark Dimension. That's yeah, it. yeah, maybe. That's what they're going to do. I feel, like, I feel like if they did that nowadays, though, they'd, they'd readapt it to be a thing of, oh, David Tennant never regenerated, you know? Mm. In the same, in, in, in like the the 90s, it was a thing of, oh, we take the most popular Doctor, we make it so that they never left, you know? Like, so... <laughs> Maybe they do that. Thinking about that, if that were to happen, I'd probably have it so he never regenerated in Journeys in the Stolen Earth. So then hmm. Donna never uh never became uh Metacar- a Time Lord. Metacar- wouldn't she wouldn't she just die though? Like I know that's kind of like yeah. a harsh thing to say, but like but I mean 
maybe there's if it never regenerated and they dropped the TARDIS in the mm. furnace, she would yeah. have just died, you yeah. know. Pretty much, pretty much. So, so like, that would and um the dark dimension would have been caused by like the reality bomb uh, malfunctioning and then it created a barren <laughs> wasteland universe instead of a yeah, yeah. instead of destroying the it. TARDIS it just... gets destroyed. Mm. So the TARDIS gets destroyed. destroyed, Donna dies, there's maybe, literally no Maybe uh, Donna gets rescued by some outside source or something. Uh, something happens or like something, and maybe the villain yeah, yeah. story or whatever brings her out. I'm, then... I'm so interested by the, by the idea of like Doctor Who what ifs. Like, mm. uh, like I, I have a few ideas of my own, uh, bit of like stuff I'd want to see get adapted in like Unbound like one day. Mm. But it's just it's such a thing, especially given that like Big Finish is a company that like just have so many like established Doctor Who actors on speed dial. I'm really surprised yeah. they haven't like any more what ifs like prior to I mean, now. Talking of Doctor Who Unbound, sadly recently, uh, a few days ago, um David Warner passed away. Of course, that's something that uh for, like we need to talk about. I think um you know he was he was an incredible doctor, an incredible actor yeah. person. He was I, I I said this obviously when when I had the news, but I only just got to start experiencing his audios recently because mm. I um I got that like Unbound bundle like a like a while ago that includes like both of his sort of stories with uh with Nicholas Courtney and just to like hear this kind of like slightly altered version of Free obviously played mm. by David Warner such like was so cool and he left such an impression um yeah he was he was, he was just a legend I'm like. He was Um, probably my favorite Unbound Doctor up there with um, David Collins, uh, David Collins, and um, probably Jeffrey Bailey. But all three of them sadly passed away now. Um, They they were all all three of them all incredible, all incredible doctors, all incredible actors, and it was it was incredible to have them in the role. And of course, you have like uh, Warner's Doctor with, as you said, uh, the Brigadier. Those two Mm. adventures um, among his uh, Bernice uh, Summerfield. Um, yeah, really stand out to me. I, I especially love Sympathy for the Devil, although I love Masters of War. I think Masters of War is an amazing Dalek story. I think, um, and him and uh, him and Nicholas Courtney's Brigadier, just incredible chemistry. Incredible. It's, it's just it's lovely to hear both of them together. You know, like like definitely just to, like I said, just to hear this like slightly different version of 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 three. You know, like what if two regenerated into a completely different person? But just to some sometimes just kind of like feel that third Doctor and Brigadier dynamic. But it's like a yeah. different Doctor. You know, is mm. it was always fantastic and it's very just, different Brigadier. Yeah, it's just, it's lovely. Yeah, just to see Alistair at like a different point in his life in a universe mm. where like unit went down the drain, you know, mm. is, is so compelling. It's, it's, it's a fantastic set of stories, those two. Um, but yeah, David Warner was just a legend, man. And, and yeah. I was just really sort of saddened to, to hear, obviously, about his passing. But, mm. you know, like I said, it's just thankful that he, he gave us so many decades of incredible performances, you know. Oh, yeah, um, time, man. It's in all of them, really. Um, I loved him in The League of Gentlemen. Uh, the movie that they did, he yeah. was. Truly... I'm happy we got him in. Uh, I'm happy we got him in Doctor Who, like the show properly. Yeah, Cold War. Cold War. Like, he was great. Truly magnificent performance. He put a lot of heart and soul into that. Um, even like, even like Cold War, you know, it's as a as a series seven episode. It's not particularly a standout to me, but when I watch it, David Warner is definitely the highlight. He. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. So much happiness in that character, and it was just. It was an incredible watch, uh, just for David Warner alone, as yeah. as the listens are with his audio plays, and um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same with like at this. It's the same with like John Hurt though. I'm just 
I'm ha- I know it, it took a bit of like a workaround, but I'm, I'm happy we got him as the doctor, you know, mm-hmm. like at all. Um, I'm yeah. excited to sort of jump into like his, his Bernie Summerfield um, audios. Like the only reason I never listened to to them prior to now is just because the whole Bernie Summerfield thing is something that seems a bit sort of insurmountable. Like, um, mm. like because I don't know who she is. Um, I don't um, know what I deal. I tell you um, what, and- the um, the uh, David Warner um, Bernie Summerfield stuff. His doctor with that uh, with those box sets. It takes no prior listening. Really, it, it, right. you don't really need to understand who Bernice is. You kind of get that idea from the um, from those box sets. But if you want a a good story to kind of introduce yourself to her, um, I can I can only recommend a story called Love and War. It's her introdu- it's an introduction story. It's an adaptation of the novel, and it I recommend going into that on no spoilers because it it broke my heart. It was tear like i was in tears by the end of that story it's a seventh doctor and ace one um All right. particularly the well i won't spoil i won't spoil it yeah but, keep keep um, on the down it's heartbreaking it's it's incredible but that's her first one so that kind of introduces you to her uh you mm. don't really need to listen to all of her spin-off, spin-off stuff to understand the david warner and her the part she plays because it's taken mm. her into warner's universe um right and it's kind of a fresh start in a way, and it's uh, particularly tragic now because uh, Lisa Bauman uh, was uh, David uh, David Warner's other half. They were together. Um, oh, I, didn't, I didn't know about that. Yeah, which is why they paired these two characters together because, of course, there are a couple, and it's oh. very very tragic. But um, and my uh, thoughts and prayers and condolences go out to Lisa and his family, really. But yeah, um, of course. Yeah, he was a he was an incredible doctor, an incredible man, and yeah, and yeah, uh, going uh, going forward, um, of course, going on to a different topic as well. I mean, all all the other unbound stuff as well. Uh, mm. Talking of that, uh, you know, what 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 particular unbound concepts on, on the fly can you uh, think of right now that you'd like to see? Um start at the beginning just one that i figured tweeted out a while ago i'd be quite interested to see one that follows um what would have happened if one had elected to leave susan behind on gallifrey either take that as a thing of what is susan's life like like on gallifrey having like sort of lost her granddad mm. uh, or if susan never come with the doctor um he would have never went to coal hill the tardis would have never gone stuck as a police box and i kind of wanted to see mm. who would he have regenerated into maybe or what adventures would one have gone on without ian barbara and susan you know having never met ian barbara and just really? leaving susan behind. so the idea of that that's incredible i think um oh, to think of an idea um myself i i quite like how the unbound range kind of hinges their episodes their episodes based around uh an episode in particular so like um mm. sympathy for the devil it hinges on um the mind of evil it hinges yeah. on that um and of course it hinges on all of the uh unit uh tenure but that episode in particular plays a huge role so i'd probably pick out an episode like um uh say like the slovene two-parter from series one and like yeah. or maybe here's one to stay on brand for what i like what what if i was to do an unbound story based on love and monsters 
Yeah. And uh, I, I, what if the absorb loss was successful? What if he actually, because of course the um, the characters he absorbs, he, you know, they're still, they can still think, they can still talk. So if he actually got yeah. his hands on the doctor, uh, and he actually did absorb the knowledge to, um, fly the TARDIS, it, yeah, it kind of it could be a comedy. It could be kind of like. It could be treated as a comedy, or it could be really deadpan serious. It could be a very yeah. serious story about like the Absorbloff conquering the universe. I feel like um, with like the Doctor talking to him constantly, like it'd be um, just Peter Kay and David Tennant just having yeah, yeah, constant yeah. arguments while trying to. God, can you him. imagine a world where where Peter Kay wasn't like almost entirely um, against returning to Doctor Who? I, I reckon. Of love and- John Coleshaw does an good Absorbloff. He does a great Absorbloff yeah. impression. I've not heard his Absorbloff, but he's fantastic. Um, I mean, that does an impression of everyone, and he does it incredibly. But, like, um, yeah, imagine a story where um, maybe the Doctor convinces him at one point to take on the role as the Doctor, and it's just the Absorbloff <laughs> in a long coat trying not to absorb in the converse the don't fit yeah. <laughs> i've got it in my mind i'm writing that now <laughs> that would be fantastic i think um i'd say just like because i had a few but like the only other ones that spring to mind in terms of unbounds that i'd want to see are a thing of what if a five accidentally dropped all the bat's milk on Androzani? So as a result, he can't save Perry and he still regenerates. Mm. So you end up having a version of the sick, doc- sick doctor that doesn't have Perry to kind of guide him. You know, yeah. what kind of sick doctor do we end up getting if he didn't have that sort of, you know, like presence um, sort of push him in the right direction? Mm. Uh, and then the other one is just kind of a thing of uh, I've not listened to Stranded, but I'm very I love the idea of the Doctor being stuck on Earth and like having to sort of live a normal life. Yeah. Uh, it's why I love I love most of Power of Three before you kind of get to the ending. Um, but I kind of like the idea of what if the teleport to get I can't remember the planet from the Ghost Monument, but what if the teleport to get thirteen Ryan Graham and Yaz off world didn't work? And as a result, 13 never got the TARDIS back. So 13 was just stuck on Earth dealing with, you know, like um, Earth-based alien threats, you know, similar to UNIT or, or Sarah Jane. I would have loved that for Series 11. Or like, yeah. That would have been incredible. Truly incredible. I yeah. love Series 11 as it is, but having them stranded would have been, it would have been amazing. I think it would have been what a great take. Think of what if 13 was stuck, you know, like living with like Yaz, Graham and Ryan. Mm. You, know? you set up this whole thing of like these three people know each other and they live close to each other. Mm. So why would you not seek to take advantage of that, you know, by having... I think it would have been a great Earth. way to kind of build up Phasman, you know, and be kind of like... A, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they'd, they'd spend a lot of time together, flat share kind of type. Uh, yeah, yeah. You do a lot of comedic beats with that as well. Phasman's like a bit of a kind of minefield for me in terms of like, because it's, it's like, obviously, like, it's a, it's a kind of relationship being depicted on screen that means so much to so many people. And I never want to take that away from anyone. And if anything, the fact that it's been introduced now um, is fantastic. And I'm glad it's finally kind of like canon. Um, mm. The tragedy of the whole thing, though, and I think most people would probably agree with me, is that... Um, 
it got introduced like with two episodes to go you know yeah and when we know that like mandip and jody are leaving you know mm-hmm. um and i think the biggest tragedy of possibly of the whole chibnall era is him realizing that you know kind of soulful like character moments between his cast should have been the backbone of his era particularly between jody and mandip mm-hmm. uh, if we've had if we'd had a whole series that was was built around sort of building up this relationship i feel like it just would have been a lot stronger on the whole yeah. but i can't sit i can't sit here and pretend i'm not happy that we haven't got it at all oh yeah um, completely yeah agree. i think um what made it so lovely for me as well is that, that kind of dynamic it was introduced kind of at the perfect time for me but of course that was me personally i just lost my dad on the exact day that Eve of the daleks kind of came out so having like those two characters of course i'm not i'm not one to judge Phasmin or like Judge has written because I'm a dishet white male. I'm as generic as they come. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I, I would yeah, never yeah. give myself. Yeah, 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 what you mean? It does, it does kind of. It's not thing for of, like, me. That, that kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a thing of it means so much to so many other people, and a lot of people feel represented by such a thing. Mm. So like, it's not fair for people who yeah. like aren't, part, aren't being represented by that to try and take it away. You know, well, I don't. Well, feel I, like... well, I will say is that I absolutely adore that relationship. I absolutely adore Phasmin. I, I didn't at first back in the day uh, i didn't understand what i just said and i was like making memes about phasmin like oh it doesn't exist blah 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 because it's serious level yeah. said there wasn't there was barely any indication there was one or there, there were there were you know yeah i'd say it was kind of fair to pay to poke fun of it when it wasn't part of the text mm. back then because it just yeah. it kind of mm. in the moment it, it kind of felt like people like kind of filling in the blanks and sort of having a lot of wishful thinking you know for stuff yeah. that like the creators feel felt very kind of adverse but, you know, um, but now, soon, now it is there you know as soon as that like moment happened on tv when um i think the moment that hit me most was um when they were looking at each other you know during the fireworks and the music in that scene as well my favorite of uh the work which will actually get on to Siganakanola because he's leaving yeah. but but um that that scene in particular it was just so wholesome it was so like it was kind of everything I needed that day in particular yeah, yeah. I actually told this to Amanda when I went to Comic-Con that it was everything you you were there for that comic con in particular weren't you yeah Jody's I, confessed, I, believe, I believe I was yeah, there. yeah, yeah we actually um, met briefly and talked I believe it was in Jody's queue right I swear yeah yeah, yeah. and um uh, yeah, I actually um, told Mandip how much that scene meant to me because on that very day, I lost my dad, which, you know, that scene was kind of, that episode in total was just fun, a harmless episode. It was really fun, but it had like that character beat and that was really, really nice to watch. And yeah. it, was, it was probably one of my favorite episodes of the Jodie era. It genuinely stands out as... Yeah. It, it just it felt so weird like especially when you get to the point um when the fireworks are going off and you just have that kind of beautiful moment where mm. like at first he just looks over at yaz and you just have this knowing look from dan at the both of them it, it was just such like it, it speaks volumes to the moment where they don't need any dialogue you know you just kind of get everything in the looks of all the characters it's a fantastic little bit and it just felt so like there was character there you know what i mean like the, these these people felt real and and oh, really? i just kind of like i've 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 kind of been one of the people who um 
over the past years we've we've kind of been in the thick of this era um being sort of cynical about the fact it doesn't really feel like we've had like sort of real characters like i've i've, I've always tried to be fair and like point out whenever i feel like no this this bit gets it another example is like the bit uh between ryan and his dad in the cafe and resolution which I, which I love like i i love that scene so much um so i've never tried to kind of be dishonest when it comes to um oh the series like doesn't have character like this era sorry doesn't have character like ever because it does you know yeah, yeah. i'm just I'm, I'm very vocal about the fact that i feel like it probably should have had more but i like scenes like that bit in the cafe and resolution and the fireworks display at the end of the eve are just beautiful because they I just feel real you know yeah I, I completely agree with everything you've just said i think um there are a lot of there are a lot of great character moments in my view, like um, Graham in his flat in Arachnids, was it? It was in Arachnids where he's just um, imagining. Yeah, he's just by himself. I think um, yeah. Graham in particular in series 11, his arc with his grief was truly beautiful. It was, it was incredible and him wanting to travel based on that kind of loss that he's just been through. And um, I, I do love that that's kind of his reason for traveling. I think it's very... Yeah. And of course, you do have moments that kind of fail to, you know, because you have the Battle of Rascal, of course, mm-hmm. where Graham goes on the murder arc. Yeah. Now, well, um, I, I think that does work to an extent. It's uh, it's obvious that that script is kind of a first draft and that it's kind of... That should be yeah. what I think that should have been the main focus. The main focus of the entire episode should have re- kind of been based more on the personal side to Tim Shaw versus Graham and the doctor mm-hmm. trying to stop Graham, not suddenly um, Tim Shaw's stealing planets and you've got these two godlike characters. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, it, there was a, a lot of potential for characters there, and, and it did hit. It, it did hit its mark sometimes, but I feel like it, a lot of Graham in series 11 was great. And you do have um, Ryan talking to um, the uh, pregnant uh, pregnant man in um, the Zorongo conundrum. I can't remember his name, but like they were talking about uh, being what it's like to be a father. What, yeah. You know, what it's like to have a distant father and what's it like to grow up, um, you know, grow up with that and how to look after their kid and I feel like that's a great moment as well yeah Uh, and I I agree that you know it's a shame that a lot of these moments kind of they aren't really the backbone of the series yeah it's just a shame that it's never been the focus you know um like like other eras tried to do like one thing that I'm I'm appreciating a lot more about something like the Moffat era particularly the Capaldi is now we talked about that earlier uh but it's just all those those like bright shining bits of character like sort of littered throughout um that have just kind of felt very absent for the majority of the current era for me at least um which is why that just they 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 they, it feels a lot, lot can't speak but it feels like a whole lot more when they do show up like I, I sort of I value a moment like the bit in Eve and, and the bit in Resolution so much because they just feel a bit too uh, few and far between um, but I feel like I'm of the opinion that if if Graham and Ryan had left at the end of season 11 um, they would be like 
their characters would feel a lot stronger on the whole because yeah. you kind of get you get everything you need from them in that first season. Notice how when we've been talking about great like Graham and Ryan moments, we've only mentioned like season eleven. You know, the yeah. fact that they're all in season twelve, um, I think they feel that sake of it. In, in my series twelve, should have started with "Can you hear me." If, if they they were if they were going to and they did continue Graham and uh, uh, Graham and Ryan, uh, I love how Spyfall sets up the rest of that series. I I absolutely adore uh, the one's master and the destruction and the destruction of Gallifrey really caught me off guard. That was yeah uh, truly a moment that left me speechless. But um, maybe even like had can you hear me a part of series eleven? Yeah, and, um, I do like how it kind of works with all in fifty-five. If if you'd really kind of focused in on like um, Ryan's fear as well, the fear that the you know the planet will outlive him and he can't change the future, or like Graham's fear of his cancer returning, I feel like those are very they're treated as more underlying than they should be yeah. because those are pivotal character moments. They are huge. Really, they should be huge, but they're treated yeah. as a one-off in that particular episode. And I, 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 it's only it only feels like Yaz is really continued onwards. Yeah, um, and I do love how Flux covers Yaz and the Yaz and Thirteen's relationship as well, because that the thing, like... the thing Flux... I kind of like them too. Go on, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll go uh, on. What, what was I, I was uh, going to say Flux for character moments. It was great. Uh, you know, you had um, 13 kind of really angry all the time and uh, Yaz just trying to get some answers and what would the Doctor do and uh, Dan being hopeless romantic and and uh, just being whisked off on this adventure without knowing a single thing that's going on. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, Flux had a lot of merits that this era should have pushed of the early two. And, and even thinking about it now, there are more character moments than I remember. I feel like, as we mentioned earlier, I feel like as time will pass, that all of that stuff will be more prevalent, more, you know, more memorable, more uh, more talked about. Because I'm yeah. even thinking about, like, the ha the haunting of Philodati with Yaz talking about the Doctor in, like, my person's a lot different. Um, like, a yeah, uh, as you mentioned, res resolution with Ryan's dad, but even like the ending of that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 like, who knows? Like the the centenary could make it. Like literally, yeah, um, I'm 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 hopeful about the fact that it's ninety minutes long. That feels like a lot of time for like mm. things to be wrapped up. Um, thanks RTD for that leak, by the way. Uh, mm. But I'm 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 very excited about the fact it's going to be ninety minutes. Um, Graham's coming. Obviously, I want it to kind of feel like an end of time in terms of mm. the priority is very much giving these characters satisfying endings. You know, yeah. um, I like the whole issue I have with with something like the Chibnall era uh, is something that I kind of liken to. In the past, it feels like sci-fi and time travel concepts have been used to tell stories about the characters, whereas what we have currently are time travel and sci-fi concepts that just happen to have moments that are about mm -hmm. the characters, if we're lucky, you know? 
Um, that's what it feels like to me. Um, and that's why I feel like it feels like in the current era, you couldn't ever get a story like Human Nature and the Family of Blood. You couldn't get like a, a Father's Day, you know, something that's entirely about who are these people we're following? You know, what what makes Father's Day is genuinely, I feel like that is top five who of all time. I think Father's Day yeah. just stands out as like, you know, you get Human Nature, Family of Blood, all these emotional episodes in we missed the trick we, we missed the trick in terms of we have like a family unit in the TARDIS in terms mm -hmm. of like Ryan and Graham why yeah. didn't we ever take advantage of that you know I mean like why it didn't we have like a Father's Day or a Curse of Fenric you know where they go back into Graham's timeline mm. or something like that it like why, really, why you know because uh, Chibnall was great at writing the puns he was great at writing mm -hmm. Amy and Rory and Ryan yeah. and and uh, all of them, he could have really kind of not copied that dynamic, but kind of reflected upon what worked with it and utilized that kind of, you know, family dynamic that characters can have and take it in a new direction. I think that could have been, and I think that could have been, I, I love how, um, of course, with Grace's death, I think that was a huge moment for the Whitaker era. And I think. Yeah. That's why I love the woman who fell to love so much. Is that it does? I feel like that does kind of put the character moments as the main. I, I love I love a story like it takes you away, and that story mm -hmm. is entirely informed by the fact that Grace Grace dies at the start of the season. You know, a great moment, like you said, in Arachnids when like Graham goes home, and it's just all the more quiet because she's not there anymore. A fantastic, mm -hmm. um, and that's why I say that Graham and Ryan probably should have left at the end of season eleven because whilst it's not the focus, you get plenty of good moments that kind of like pay off the stuff that they're going through within that time mm. and ev all their adventures after that don't have any of that anymore like I, running under you know yeah I, I think that's part of why the reason why series 12 is my least favorite of the three um mm. yeah, i still really really enjoy series 12 i still I probably think, agree to be honest i still think it's a good series i don't think it's the worst thing that could ever be produced ever like some people pretend it is but i feel like um yeah it probably goes series 12 series 11 flux yeah, no. I'd say I'd, I'd say I put um, season eleven just above Flux, just because I feel like the the kind of um, I, I I quite like Flux until like the final two episodes, but I feel like that kind of like harsh declining quality for me is enough to like put it just below 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 series eleven, yeah. um, which I, like I said I've, I've spoken a lot of praise for, uh, mm. even if I I feel like for the majority it, it doesn't do any of what I like about it enough, um, mm. but best out of the three for me just because it does kind of think, you feel like it does have those kind of like character focused priorities mm -hmm. at least sometimes you know um i, think, um, I really have to rewatch the vanquishes in particular because i haven't rewatched it since it aired um i must admit um when it when in terms of rewatching the chibnall era rewatching yeah. it's not really one i jump to go and rewatch if i do rewatch one it's usually from series 11 although um i do I do love rewatching series 12 and of course I love watching Flux. Flux is obviously kind of the ongoing kind of... It's, the it's... whiplash like in quality for me when it came to like the Vanquishers and even the Daleks was insane because the Vanquishers might be my least favourite Who finale like at least in terms of modern Who like mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those episodes where I just can't have to look at it and think to myself what are we doing here? You I know, like mine is the Battle of Rams Club of course. Yeah. And we're back. So, um, yeah, I think um, Bower of Rapscore, of course, that's probably my least favorite finale. I need to rewatch Vanquishers. 
Um, mm. uh, Survivors of the Flux. I remember quite liking it. Of course, it does present more continuity errors for the unit um, dating. Uh, yeah, that was always modelled though. So like anything else that adds onto it is like the least egregious thing I have about the Flux finale. But like Vanquish is just one of those things where I kind of sit down and think, what are we doing here? Because it's just the most, it's just modelled. The entire thing just feels like it has no focus and we're just moving on from one thing to the next. Yeah. I understand a lot of people like like it, but it's just it's just not for me. And it feels, it's the most, like, because wasn't there an interview that came out a little while ago that said like Chibnall very regularly had to just like submit first drafts? Mm. No, it was. Uh, well, I, asked, me... I don't think it was the case for Flux, as per se. It was. Uh, I was going to say, if you sat think... me down and made me guess uh, which of these stories, any stories ever written whilst been in charge of the show, was a first draft, I would point to the Vanquishers. To be <laughs> honest, I would think that's the one. Right. Um, don't like it. But hey, Eve came out right after, and it technically made up for it. So you know. Yeah, fair. yeah, that's a fair enough opinion. Then we got Legends of the Sea Devils after that, which uh, <laughs> great character moments, but overall, um, not my favorite episode of all time. Gotta say, I love the Phasmin moments. Um, it was like there was a brief. So I like obviously the bit where they're they're sort of underwater and um, sort of like looking out. Obviously, just just in the TARDIS and the air bubble. But there was like. A brief moment, I'd want, I should just put it out there, Legend of Sea Devils, um, I hate, um, but like there was a brief moment like at the start of watching the story where like uh, 13, Yaz and Dan got out on like sort of their their, their period like accurate gap mm. and I, I sort of got like flashbacks to kind of like um, to Jamie and, and Victoria on the beach in like Fury from the Deep, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of was like, oh, I'd, I'd love to see more of these people um and then i remembered that this was the penultimate episode and i was like this is the this is the tardis team i wanted to see more of um so i'm i'm, I'm excited for like hopefully um if they ever like want to come back for like an anniversary or like big finish yeah. but like no the the rest of the like the episode itself which is not it like like at all yeah like like you don't have to be like um it's not a very controversial opinion to say you don't like Legend of the Sea Devils, I don't think. Yeah. Um, I think but, you know, yeah. it's not one I immediately hate. It's not one that I immediately have a huge amount of distaste for. As I said, I really like the character moments, specifically the ending. I think, mm. um, you know, with uh, I wish this could last forever, I think that's a very human struggle uh Play in front of the 13th Doctor. Of course, a lot of people draw companions to the curse of the time lords and all that, but I think, you know, it is kind of, it's not, you know, it's not bad to kind of reflect upon similar themes while doing it kind of differently with a different Doctor, a different companion, a different dynamic. I think, um, especially this is post River. I think, um, mm. yeah, I do love the character moments. I do love, uh, I love that one sea devil. Uh, well, like uh, I feel like he makes for a great. Uh, I think um, he makes for a great villain. Of course, um, a lot of it is shoddily cut, uh, shall we say? So it doesn't really make sense. I, I need. I, I need to kind of. Whilst I think um, the product as a whole comes across as hastily thrown together and um, not good, in my opinion, I need to kind of. Uh, be open about the fact that I understand that it was an episode made during COVID, you know, so oh, there yeah. were probably 
of kind of you know like um struggles that like the creative team had to kind of overcome especially in terms of the production and like post-production um i mean it is an incredible job given with what happened but at the same time it's just you look at Eve of the Daleks and they face the same yeah. struggles and that was an incredible story and incredibly, uh, it was well written, just wonderfully put together. Brilliantly uh, shot. Wonderfully yeah. shot. Um, and Whereas this, in Pleasure of the Sea Devils, we have the sea devil who jumps all the way to the ship. Do not get me started on that. It's just like, what are we doing? You know, like, how have we gone there? But so. then again, once again, great character moments overall. Really like Thirteen and Yaz. Wish they had more time with that same dynamic. Of course, we got a lot of that from Yaz in Flux, but on her own, we didn't get. I, it. I just feel like Thirteen's era, similarly to like Sixes, is only going to get better with extended media in the years to come. You know, mm-hmm. that the, like similarly to like I'm I'm watching um, all of Classic Who with my partner Lola at the moment, and um, um, we're about season 15 uh, territory and I know for a fact that as soon as we get to like five I'm going to chuck in the occasional Big Finish audio that I feel like expands on the trauma of his character on the fact mm-hmm. that he, he, he basically one of his companions dies on his watch you know and I feel like a similar effect might happen with 13's era where in the years to come we just get like story after story of either like audio or anniversary special whose sole purpose is to expand on everything that made these stories work you know mm. like Fasman, like Graham like Ryan you know um, a lot of it um a lot of it already does have a great um expanded media the comics got to redacted mm. even like now it's getting like a huge amount of just well written, well documented, well just, just well put together. Um, yeah, yeah books. Medium. Oh. the books as well. How could I forget the books? And overall, it's just genuinely an amazing set of extended media. I do look forward to. I love the tenth Doctor. I absolutely love the tenth Doctor. But having him in all the thirteenth comics was a bit much. Bit much. I'm not. A, I'm not a. Do- I'm, well, I was about to say I'm not a Doctor Who comic person. I'm not really much of a comic person. Literally, um, my my partner Lola has made it her mission to get me into comics. Um, mm. Like I'm a big fan of sort of like comic book media, like movies and TV shows, but I, mm. I don't read that many comics. So they're trying to get me in me at the too, moment. Really. And, and one of the things that. that- and like you mentioned, one of the things that uh, I've been interested in is, is Doctor Who comics. And I've I've heard a lot of um, people upset over 10 being in the 13 Doctor's comics. And that doesn't sound all too great, to be honest. Because you just not, feel like you feel like a similar thing when that happens. But I, I, I like 10. I like it when he's in an adventure. I love multi-Doctor stories. Mm. It just gets a bit excessive. None of the stories are bad. The 10's inclusion doesn't really you know, make the story any worse. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's overshadowing the majority of the 13th Doctor because, of course, we still got Redacted, which makes a yeah. lot of re- references. Very much like Redacted, Redacted is such like a, a thing that speaks to the power of spin-offs. Yeah. Like, like, like honestly, Redacted was fantastic and instantly made yeah, me like a genius and fan. Like, Redacted was thing that, that made me go out and buy The Good Doctor. It mm. made me go out and buy Gina Dawson's new book. Mm. Um, her writing style is just oh, fantastic. The Good Doctor um, in particular. Peak yeah, yeah. But I, I love how Redacted is very much um, very much a 13th Doctor era. 
uh, spin-off slash story. It's very much, you know, I, I love the extended media, the expanded media that she has so far. And I look forward to seeing that kind of blossom in the future, especially with um yeah. Pull Me Master and the Fugitive Doctor adventures. I can't wait, literally. Like like everyone oh, agrees. Dewan and Joe Martin were like fantastic in oh, their yeah. introduction. Uh, and they're like even people who don't like to see her agree to Joe Martin and Sasha Dewan in terms of their performances are fantastic so to see those characters sort of spin off and be written by other people mm. who have their own ideas for those characters can't wait uh, Joe Martin's box in particular because it's just going to be interesting to see um, like Doctor Who stories from the eyes of someone who's pre anything we've ever seen before you know yeah. like pre Hartnell you know genuinely so exciting I think it's probably I love pre-Hartnell stuff. I absolutely adore that era of the show. I know a lot of people find it controversial. Don't like the Time of Children. Don't even like Lung Barrow or any of that sort of thing. Mm. I personally love it. I revel in kind of the chaos of it all and the kind of oh. mystery and lore and on order, whether it be Looms or the time of being wombed or you know Pythia or whatever. There's so much there. The other Tectagune, all of that. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot of undiscovered like new territory. I know the future in itself is new territory, but going back to the past, I do love it. I really yeah, do. Yeah, it's it's like you start thinking to yourself, how much can the people who are in charge of writing this like fugitive doctor like audio spinoff, what can they really do? You know, because mm-hmm. can can she meet the Daleks? Like, if so, is it the Daleks and like like post meeting Hartnell because like mm. you, you start to think if the Daleks like post meeting like Doctor meet Joe Martin surely like that won't create any kind of um any continuity problems because um Joe Martin will be just be meeting them for the first time mm. but the Daleks will know who the Doctor is and the fact that Joe Martin meets them won't cause any problems because you know she gets her mind wiped yeah like well, maybe, the end of well, maybe the division comes up with some sort of code name or something or some sort of ambassadorial like yeah yeah specific but, but if the names. Daleks met Joe Martin they'd just go oh this is just another one you know like mm. we've met all of them so yeah we, we have no, we have no concept of what order this this person comes in you know and maybe this just have just it so maybe just have it so she wipes her like image from like the Dalek data bank or something yeah. but then it's just another thing of okay so she can't meet established films like the Daleks what kind of villains are we gonna get you know to meet this mm. kind of doxing big in mind that, like this year? yeah yeah but like perhaps you know that sounds cool um but yeah it's just it's Maybe an interesting bit territory it's like when you hear about um spin-offs of like star wars being made uh pre-phantom menace you know just like mm. untapped territory you know yeah, um, we, we do have glimpses of that we have the Ragnos, we have the vampires yeah, yeah. the eternals we have we have a lot we have a lot to look forward to and i do look forward to new villains as well also, uh, yes. I, I, I won't harp on this, but the Dewan uh, spin-off is equally exciting because mm. almost all, probably all of Big Finish's like master content is peak, oh, like the master um, Eric Roberts return, masterful, messy. It's just all fantastic. Um, so to have them be uh, doing stuff with Dewan now is just so exciting. I really so. look forward to it. It's going to be it's going to be incredible stuff. Uh, a few final, you know. Um, conversation topics uh one thing i wanted to discuss with you because of course you're a writer uh it's a director and i wanted to really just discuss with you your creative process behind 
projects that you've done in the past and projects that you're going on to do. Plus, we've discussed midday, but are there any projects you want to talk about from what you've done? Yeah. This is going to be a mess. Um, it's just because, like, I don't think I, I'm not kind of one to sort of like get up on my high horse and be mm. like, oh, like, I have like such a nuanced creative process because I don't. Um, I'd say, like, the only kind of. Are. Yeah, I, I feel like the only kind of consistency to like um, my output so far has been um, inconsistency in that like my first ever short film that I did was like a psychological thriller that was informed by um, like modern day uh, influencer culture. Uh, and so I was like, okay, my first, I'm, I'm trying a thriller. Next time around, it was like, okay, well now I want to try something that's like the polar opposite of that. So um, my first project was about sort of like a deceptive depiction of a relationship through like modern day influence culture. So now the polar opposite of that would be um, like an honest romance uh, about like two characters who you just meet living normal lives. Um, and that feel, that keeps it fresh for me, you know? Mm. And now at the moment I'm writing a dark comedy about um, a person who um, gets in trouble with like one of his rich, I, I'm not pitching it very well at all, but just a dark comedy about um, someone who gets in an awful lot of trouble. And I'll <laughs> leave it at that because maybe I'll put more info about it uh, mm. at some point. But my point is, I'm always doing something different, you know, like I'm always wanting to be like, okay, so that may or may not have worked for me. Um, what genre would, you know, it's, it's why I, I love when um, established filmmakers, like my favorite director, Edgar Wright, can do um, like comedy films. And then he can do Baby Driver, which is like a straight action movie, you know, and then he can do um, Last Night in Soho, which is a horror, you know, yeah. like and, he um, doesn't like- Gotta say, Edgar Wright is also my favorite filmmaker. He is he's incredible. I love Sean Dead Hot Fuzz. All of his films are yeah, yeah. genuine masterpieces. Uh, what's your favorite of his films? I know that's a very difficult question, but um, I'd have to say World's End. I have uh, mentioned the last like, several times. That, one, that one's for Jude, by the way. Uh, like that's one. That one's for Jude on Twitter. My, my, my good mate Jude. Um, he he loves World's End. I love him. Uh, yeah, yeah. but that um, one's for Jude as well. World's End. He's right though. World's End is the best second right film. Um, yeah, but mean, that's all. That's all I mean in terms of you just kind of got to like keep doing something different every time. At least for me, you know. Otherwise, it's like you're just making yeah. the same film over and over again. You know, you're writing oh, yeah, the same like, thing. The one thing with Edgar Wright is that everything he does is different. Everything he does has a different tone, a different. Like you can have like two same actors take up different roles. I mean. Yeah. The, brilliant thing about the world's end is that uh it's usually nick frost is playing kind of laid back character the kind of the mess of a character while yeah, yeah. Peg takes up the more straight man role where he kind of you know is the voice of reason but in the world's end it completely flips that around and that's yeah, yeah. i love about that one in particular but um i love the attention to detail he puts in his craft i feel like um scott pilgrim in particular oh, the amount of detail in that film I could go on for days about how much I love that film. Baby Driver, Last Night in Soho, but World's End um, always stands out in the end of the day for me. I mean, they're all yeah. equally perfect, but World's End, I'll always go back to rewatch it more than the others. I'd say just like in terms, if I had to kind of like um, 
like it like extrapolate some kind of like creative process from everything I, I i've done before like i say it was just a thing of try and like keep it fresh like try and do like a different mm -hmm. style every time like a different or like a different genre but also um particularly when i'm writing and writing is more of a thing that i think i'm like i'm gravitating more towards than directing nowadays um is is just like the best kind of stories for me uh like when i'm writing them are the ones that like shock me um i love twists like mm. oh, I, I adore twists one of my favorite tv shows of all time is is the twilight zone and that's like mm. a show that's wow. known for like it's twist like, um, yeah but, but like it needs to i need as i'm writing it i need to like be in the position of like an audience member like making like coming to those conclusions about the characters i'm following like for example like my my film that i put out like my following my short film um obviously the thing in that 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 kind of like struck me as i was writing it was oh we don't know this person and he was never in a relationship with this woman if you've never seen this film it's, it's but like um it doesn't make any sense but he the twist of that is that he's lying and then the thing that i was like making recently duet um that whole thing was oh that like he ends up going to the place where she works by complete coincidence and this thing they this thing is just brought this is a ramble they've just been brought together by complete fate and now it's like this thing i'm working on there's like another thing that as i was writing it i was like oh wouldn't it be good if this happened you know like like this mm -hmm. this has blown my mind you know kind of thing um that needs to be present you know because if you just if you're just writing a story at least for me and it just becomes a thing of if it feels very predictable like oh this was always going to happen then i'm doing something wrong you know yeah like so uh, i view uh when i write it's kind of similar especially in trying new things and trying different genres i mean recently i've just written like my first political story like my first it's a all right hard head, uh, harder to can't spoil too much about it because it does have a huge twist in the opening it's a dot two one it's probably my darkest most it, it puts the characters through so much shit. It's almost unimaginable. And it's a first Doctor story. Um, for some reason, I, I tend to put that Doctor in particular for a lot of shit. And I don't know why. It's just like, I really enjoy writing for Hartnell's Doctor. And I really, yeah. uh, I, for some reason, I put him in really hard-hitting stories, um, which really test him as a character, especially before An Unearthly Child. I think that's the most interesting part. But... This I've recently I wrote my first political hardesting story. I've written comedies. I've written monologue sort of stories where it's told from the perspective of uh, who the story is about. I wrote a tenth Doctor yeah. one based around um, Time Lord Victorious, which was um, told by him, and he was voicing how I think there's a particular scene which I'm really proud of. Which this is set in a timeline where he lets Wolf die. He just straight up. It's it's based on a story by Paul Cornell, uh, the Four Doctors comic, and yeah, yeah. it just lets Wolf die. And then I wrote a scene in particular where it's the Tenth Doctor talking about how he felt nothing when confronted by Sylvia, and how mm -hmm. she walks up to him and like she's holding on to him, asking where uh, um, her dad is, and he has no response. He just gives that kind of blank stare, you know, as he's and she knows what's happened. And wow. then he, she knocks on the TARDIS doors four times. And he and, and it's from the Tenth Doctor's perspective. And he talks about how it's the death of the Doctor and the rise of the Time Lord Victorious. It's I, I tend to lean more towards hard-hitting stuff now like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, with huge kind of... Um, but I, I've written comedy about Missy owning a podcast. 
a, t- a ton of different stuff. I've even written for like Doctor Screw, which uh, was a parody kind of thing that I released on my birthday, which I put zero effort into. And it's like one of my most viewed videos. And I put like a day's worth of effort into that and it got really high views. And I, it's a burden because I did not want to remove it because it's really funny. But um, it's funny how like terrible it is. <laughs> It's not yeah, one well, I mean, of like the best moments of, of writing in the moments where you kind of shock yourself, you know. Mm. When you find like a, a, when you as you're writing it, you get to a thing of like, how didn't I, I think of this before? You know, mm. like that kind of that eureka moment where oh wouldn't this be this makes it, you know, like it's it's usually I I, I know what it is. It's you you think of an event, um, or you think of a sort of a way for the story to progress that then just brings all the pieces together you know that you already had you know because you yeah. have all these ideas and it, all it takes usually is just one thing to happen in your story to just bring it all together oh that's why this happens oh they do this because of this you know mm. those are the best kind of moments for me as i'm writing something um and that's what i've, I've tried to keep at the center of, of everything i've written so far um I put out my following that's like private now because it was part of a festival that like I, I don't know if I'm allowed to put it back up or not um duet um in terms of the script I was happy with in terms of filming it I, I, I don't know if I'm gonna put it out just because it had production issues and if I ever end up making this 30 minute short film like this dark comedy that I was talking about um you'll all probably hear about it um knowing me um we'll see <laughs> who knows but um yeah all of all of these have, have had have had that like central idea like at the like in in the core of it and that's kind of what makes writing for me and i feel like you've, you've just kind of echoed that idea when talking about like your two stories you know yeah. which sound amazing by the way so yeah thank you and it's genuinely been like when it came to getting to writing myself i kind of threw myself into it i had no i i, I was really good at english in college Ter- well not in college but in secondary terrible at maths still am um but um i was really good at english and i really enjoyed writing so i thought why not make audios after a while during lockdown i had no audio experience either i just threw myself into it and here yeah. i am i'm very happy and now i'm going into a different medium i'm trying to make yeah. a film myself um which is um taking up a lot of time now but um Another topic based on this uh, is, of course, with all the good, there are, there are, there is back to it as well. There is creative burnout, which is something that I found myself going through more and more recently. I think it's definitely, it's it's a plague on writers. It's, it's been prevalent in every with every creative. But I just wanted to uh, talk to you about like how do you de- deal with uh, writer's block, creative burnout whenever it, it hits you. Um, this is going to speak to uh, the fact that I'm not a professional, um, but when it comes to sort of my own experience with writer's block, um, it really gets to me, to be honest. Like, I don't think I've ever really found uh, a solution to something like like writer's block because there's a reason that I've, I think I've only ever um, completed like three or four like film scripts because there are only so many ideas that I've I've had that I've like seen to their kind of the um seen to the end you know that i've been happy with to like see through because all the other times like i'll try and sit there it's always the moments when you're trying to force an idea out of your head that like you can never really find it you know um 
everything that I've ever written has come about from like sort of real world influence. Like I said, uh, whether it's like being directly inspired by another piece of work or just like noticing something in real life, like like my following, like I said, was a commentary on influencer culture. The film I wrote after that was because I watched a lot of John Carney films, uh, particularly like Once and Sing Street. Um, and uh, the thing I'm writing at the moment came about just because I figured, hey, I feel very much influenced by Edgar Wright. I want to make something that's like in the style of like Shaun the Dead, you know, like mm. something like that, or Spaced. Yeah. Um, and that that always comes around when I'm least expecting it, you know. But it's always it always comes from somewhere. You can never kind of sit down and try and like get an idea out of thin air, you know. Yeah. And that's when I'm I most badly experience like writer's block because it's it's just it has to come from somewhere, you know, but oh, yeah. unfortunately you like, you, you're not just going to have like perfect premises, like falling out of trees, you know, like it just, mm. it just doesn't happen. These things don't really come around that often, think, at least, yeah. you know? Yeah, so. I agree. I think it's definitely a lot of uh, pr practically every creative ever has always injected themselves into their work, whether it be what they like or what they've been through. I know for yeah. that I'm injecting a lot of what I've been through this year in particular, which has been, probably the most life-changing year ever for me yeah, yeah, of course. a lot of that into my work going forward into the fan film that i'm working on into the short films that i want to work on in the future i mean even like stuff that isn't related to writing started because of what happened like that because i i'm doing a doctor in distress cover with a bunch of people and that only started because of it being on tv <laughs> and because of what happened kind of inspiring me to take on a few bigger projects among the smaller ones which uh the yeah. ongoing ones which are still going uh i've never really found a cure for writer's block or anything like that i've just kind of just gone on and if i can't i have like hundreds of unfinished google docs of unfinished ideas and unfinished stories and scripts that one day i might look for and get back to or decide that i should <laughs> really I get, I get what you mean in, ter in terms of um like trying to sort of eject yourself into your work and i feel like part of like my problem is and the reason i don't have that many um uh sort of ideas sort of like in in the locker is is because like i very rarely try and inject like myself into into my work like i'll inject other people like people i've known into kind of like characters um because i kind of find writing about people who feel like me difficult um and i'll, I'll give you an example like um during like my final year of uni i was sort of brought on to basically i was i was i was writing and and uh, going on to direct uh, like the film I did do for my final year but at that time um, I needed crew members like to fill mm. out sort of uh, just people to help help me make it um, so a deal was sort of like put together where if I um, hopped onto another crew uh, wrote their script for them basically they would in turn um, like sort of fill in some like roles like some tertiary roles for, for uh, my production team and what ended up happening was I was like okay for the first time, I'm going to, this is very kind of, it's, it's a bit, the premise I've been given is a bit basic. It's a thing of um, a guy uh, who has experienced unspecified trauma, um, goes into a, like a dream state, which helps him work through that trauma. Mm. And I was, I was pitched more of like a visual style than I was an actual story. Um, so yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to fill the blanks in a bit here. 
so what I ended up doing is I ended up pulling a lot from like my own life and, and who I am for the first time because I sat down I was like huh I've never tried doing that so I might as well give it a go and what ended up happening was um and sort of uh, reminded me of why I don't usually do this is that I just it didn't help from the fact that the story had to be about someone who was experiencing trauma I pulled a lot from my own life particularly the fact yeah. that like I lost my mom when I was like quite a young kid yeah. um and and the character became very much because it was meant to be a character piece about someone like dealing with like sort of buried trauma uh, it, it very much became a piece about like this guy having to confront that stuff that he feels like molded him and like put sent him down a bit of a dark path and he's he spent so many years blaming like kind of the fact that this happened to him at such a young age for the fact that like he doesn't feel like he's well enough adjusted and and that became a bit too much for me to write yeah. about um think, to be honest one thing and um it reminded me of why i don't usually do that because it just becomes a bit too heavy if it's about yeah you know you've got to so, uh, with working with real life events and injecting them into your work especially when it comes to mental health you really do have to create limits for yourself and you really yeah of course it, it can be a healthy way to process everything it, it can be a really it can be a healthy um, way of looking at things and making yourself more creative through that trauma. But at the same time, it's similar to method acting. You can't throw yourself into it too heavily without caution, without someone to be there, someone to, you know, especially with subjects you're talking about. I'm really sorry to hear about uh, you losing your mum at a young age, I think it's unimaginable what it's like to go through that i feel um i think it's definitely something us as creatives and every creative has to watch it's that there are it's it, it there are a lot of cautions as creatives with everything every aspect of life whether it be upsetting people uh you've got to make sure that you're not butchering other people in like how they're depicted and how yeah, you're yeah, setting yeah. their struggles and you've got to watch out for yourself as well and how yeah. you present your struggles it, it can be very um it can be very freeing or very damning it can be very yeah you want to you want to speak to stuff that like you you know of and you feel like is 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 something that you can speak on but at the same time at least just for me like i i need distance like like a, a little bit of distance it can be the characters can be people i know or i've met yeah. or like members of my family but it can't be me you know yeah. um that's it, fair that's completely right. fair um anyways <laughs> on a on a lighter note now um, yeah, sorry uh, I think uh, we're heading towards the end now. Uh, of course, uh, with every guest I come on here, I give them this, which uh, is uh, an award that I was, well, uh, it was for a short film awards thing for my college, and everyone got awards. Well, some people got awards. Uh, mm. This is one I stole. Uh, oh, right. Uh, <laughs> it was That's just on the best. I just <laughs> I have confessed it in every podcast so far, but I, uh, I obviously um I give this away metaphorically over the camera, and uh, I always oh. say the same joke. Now you'll know if you were right. Um, and uh, yeah, oh, don't do that, man. I just, like I hold that that boy like too close to my heart. I really like that trick. Mm. 
<laughs> but yeah so it's been if you have anything to uh, plug any upcoming projects of course you've referenced mid uh you've talked about midday but if you want to reference more about that and go into that uh yeah go ahead um just quickly because i've already mentioned it midday um we're still auditions are still open only for a few more days uh you said this is coming out tomorrow so there's still time uh get your tapes in if you have it already if you want more information um go talk to jack jack reeves of the community show we have a twitter open also for it for midday charity play and uh if you're not interested in auditioning but you maybe want to see when it comes out stay tuned uh more information will come out on that account probably and i'll also retweet it also um my twitter obviously at fully age two it's that because i used to be a gimmick account um and uh, yeah that's my twitter if you don't follow me thank you very much rory for inviting oh, it's me on it's been a pleasure and thank, really you for it. thank you for coming on it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, of course thank you mate you too yeah all right and well um make sure to subscribe everyone thanks for watching and i shall catch you in the next one bye bye and